All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Amen. All right. He said, well, you're crazy. You don't know the half of it. I'll tell you that right now. Psalm 107. Take a look at Psalm 107 and verse 2. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let's pray. Father, as I prepare to bring what you've given me, Lord, there's one particular thing, especially for our young people, that they need. I know they need this. I needed it, and uh, they need it, and if the Lord tarries, the next generation is going to need this. So help me to get this across in a way that is going to be helpful. Uh, Lord, there's a lot to a testimony, and there's not enough time to say everything that could be said. So I'm asking you, Lord, to help me to say the things that need to be said. And uh, help me to forget about the rest. We ask, Lord, that you minister to every heart, every need. Uh, Lord, some here just need encouragement. Um, and, Lord, I, I think uh, many have been encouraged already through the fellowship and the song service and, and all that's gone on so far. But we need more. And as we look into your word, please help us now in Christ's name. Amen. Do you know, sometimes after we, especially after we've been saved a long time, we can forget the value of the testimony that God has given us. And uh, frankly, uh, that's probably the reason I haven't uh, given this in a long time. And I really don't plan on spending a lot of time on a lot of the details of my testimony, but I want to uh, emphasize one point in particular. In fact, this point is so important that uh, I, have, I have sat down with uh, uh, four, of my, four of my grandsons and uh, individually talked to them about uh, this, this thing that's going to happen in their life sooner or later. It's inevitable. It happens to everybody. It's, uh, it, it's just, frankly, temptation. It's temptation that tends to ambush. And it's one of the reasons that sometimes our, our good young people make some bad decisions. And what I'm hoping to give them uh, this morning, and by the way, uh, when it comes to temptation, uh, we that are older are subject to this strategy as well. How many of you understand that your enemy has been watching human nature for 6,000 years, and he's pretty good at tripping people up? Uh, look at your Bible. He tripped up David. Uh, he tripped up Moses. He tripped up Noah. He, he tripped up the best of them except the Lord Jesus Christ. He never got anywhere with Christ, of course. But uh, So he knows what he's doing. He's, he's subtle. Um, he's a liar. And uh, he's good at what he does. So uh, we're going to talk about this one point in particular that I think could be a help to everybody for that matter. But um, another thing about testimony is sometimes our young people, they don't know how, how, did, how did we get where we're at, those of us that are older? You know, how, how did we uh, come to this place in our lives and our relationship with the Lord? Uh, how did this church get here? Uh, I'll throw in a few little things about that. Uh, let me say this to parents and grandparents. Talk to your kids. Talk to your kids. Don't assume they, they know all the stories that are in your background. And by the way, they're interested in those things. Don't think they're not. Don't think they're not. They're, uh, we're, we're, we're getting ready to get on a plane Tuesday morning and, and head back east and spend some time with, uh, with my folks and, and then with my son and his family. And uh, one of the things uh, we do, how about it, Carol, is we, we just sit down with my folks and, you know, I, I just tell them like a little kid, Dad, tell me stories. Tell me stories. He's 86 now. He's not going to be around forever. And, and, and if he doesn't tell me those stories, those stories go into the grave with him. How many of you get what I'm saying? So, so what I'm saying is those of you that are older, give those testimonies, tell those stories especially those stories of the Lord's deliverance in your life. How you became the family that you are. Uh, how you met each other and how God brought you together and, and you got married and, and, and all of those things. And, and if you're younger and you haven't heard those stories, then tug on their coattail until they tell them. It's important, folks. It's important. And so... Um, Everybody has a story, especially those that are saved. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. 
if you've been saved any length of time, you, you have a story that uh, connects here to Proverbs chapter 3. And in Proverbs chapter 3, and verses 5 and 6, a couple of verses we're very familiar with. But in this context, I want you to think about something. Uh, it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, uh, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Uh, this is a verse about God's leadership and guidance in our lives. And then, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and watch that last phrase, and he shall direct thy paths, plural. Not just path, but paths, plural. After you've been, after you've been uh, through, through a little bit of life, you realize there's not just one big decision you have to make. Now, there are some really big ones. Uh, salvation, I think, is the most important decision. Uh, who you're going to marry is probably the second most important decision. People say vocation is number two. No, it's not. No, it's not. Who you marry is more important. You can have the best job in the world, but if, you, if you're going home to a bad marriage, that sours everything, doesn't it? So, so marriage is the second most important. Vocation's up there. I, I, I wouldn't argue that. But God is going to be with us through all the paths. When you're young and you get out of the nest, there's a lot of new and exciting uh, decisions you have to make, and, and those are important. And then we go through life, and then we start getting toward the twilight of life. There's still some important decisions to be made. And he will be with us through all of them. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he, he shall direct Thy paths. And by the way, as I look back on my life now, everywhere where I let him direct, it's come out great. And everywhere where I grab the helm, not so good, amen? Not so good. Now, you reach an age where you can look back and you can start sorting those out and making those comparisons. Now, I was born at a very young age. <laughs> as were many of you. Born in the city of Chicago, but uh, by the time we, I was six or seven, we um, went to the suburbs uh, of Chicago, and that's, that's where I was raised. And uh, I, went to, I, was, I was raised Roman Catholic. Uh, my dad's full-blooded Italian. His whole family, as far back as you could go, uh, were, were Catholic, ethnic Catholic, very traditional. And uh, my mom is full-blooded Polish. I don't get jealous, okay? Please, whatever you do. And uh, ethnic Catholic as far back as, as anybody knows. And so that's, we were a Catholic family. Chicago is the largest Catholic archdiocese in the whole world. And so uh, went to parochial school. And uh, we never missed Mass on Sunday. It wasn't a question of if we were going, we were going. I mean, unless you were just deathly sick, uh, then you didn't go. We went to confession once a month. We went to confession once a month. Uh, I remember, uh, and, and I'm... Fast forwarding a little bit here, uh, when I got involved in, in doing drugs and stuff, I, I, would, leave a, I would leave a drug party on a, on a Sunday, and I would leave, go to Mass, and come back, and some of my friends said, where'd you go? I said, I went to Mass. I mean, I, I, even, you know, when I was totally, totally off the rails, um, I, I still believed in it very strongly. And so uh, that's the way I was raised. Uh, as a kid, big thing to me, I, I did all right in school. I wasn't, I wasn't a brainiac or anything, but, you know, got B's and B pluses and stuff like that. And uh, I love sports. I love to play baseball, love to play hockey, uh, played a little bit of football. And uh, that's kind of what, uh, what I was about, pretty straight-laced kid. And then uh, entered drugs. 1971, freshman year of high school, uh, getting toward the end of the, of the school year, it was springtime, and uh, me and two of my friends were riding our bikes to school. And I want, I want you young people especially to pay attention because uh, this, is, this is the important part of all this. If you forget everything else, please, uh, please remember this. I call this po point of decision, point of decision. And like I said, I was, I was very straight-laced. Um, if you would ask me if I, if I would ever take drugs, there's no way. I, I was against it. Uh, I thought I understood the dangers and things of that nature. But um, these, these were the early years of the drug culture, the late 60s, early 70s. And, of course, it's with us in a big way. Uh, never in my lifetime 
did I think it would be legalized in our country. I forget what state we were in driving through and we saw a big billboard advertising where you could buy your pot. My goodness, my goodness. Um, That's just opening up another Pandora's box is what we've done as a country. And, And so, uh, here we were riding, you know, riding our bikes to school. I was Jiffy schoolboy, played sports, straight kid, uh, obeyed my parents, loved them, respect them. Well, I obeyed them most of the time, but you know how that goes. And so we're, we're riding along. We're, we're about halfway to school, and we get to this park, West Park. Uh, I played ball there, and we pulled in with our bikes behind a pavilion. And uh, I said to my friends, what are we doing? And I had no idea they did dope. I had no idea. And uh, one of them pulled out a joint, lit it up, took a big toke on it, handed it to his friend. I'm sitting here looking at this, and then he handed it to me. Now, like I said, if you would ask me the day before, would you ever do dope? I said, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But mind you now, I was unsaved. Mind you now, I hadn't prepared for this moment. Young people, you need to prepare for this moment. It might be the offer of drugs. It might be the offer of alcohol. It might be the offer of pornography. Married people, it might be the offer of adultery. Okay? But... But this offer, if you will, this temptation, if you will, is going to ambush you somewhere in life. And especially when you don't expect it from where it comes from. You know what I found out? I did a little research recently. And I found out it's no different today than it was back when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And many of you as well. Do you know when a lot of young people get started on drugs? And alcohol, it's right at that age. It's right at that age. Listen to the testimonies of people who got their lives messed up with these things, and it's that young. And, you know, I got realizing that, and then I thought to myself, well, I was only 15 when I went on a three-year nightmare. And it's no different today. And, and that offer could come from a stranger It's not hard to say no to a stranger, but it could come from a relative. It could come from a cousin. It could come from a younger uncle or aunt that seems cool, that you're just flattered when they pay attention to you. It could be the older brother of one of your friends, and your friend's a a, a good kid. And by the way, young people, old people too, any friend that offers you something wrong and tempts you that way is not really a friend that you need. That's not the kind of friend you need. But it, it, it could come from a friend. It could come from a friend that you made here in church. Okay, just because you come through these doors doesn't, make, doesn't guarantee that something or someone adjusted all the dials in everybody's head. We'd like to think that's the case. But it's not always the case. I wasn't ready. I got ambushed. And at that moment, I didn't realize it then, but at that moment, I was making a life-changing decision that almost cost me my life at a young age and almost cost me eternity, eternity with God. And when he held that thing out, I had a split-second decision. I had to decide right then and there if I would say no, which I knew was the right thing to say, and risk losing what? Their friendship. Their friendship. How many of us understand that's a big deal with a teenager? That's a big deal. But you want to know something? As I said before, a friend that's going to try to get you involved in the wrong things isn't a friend you need. And what was it? It was peer pressure before I had ever even heard the phrase. Or 
say yes. Just say yes, because I didn't want to be the fifth wheel. I didn't want to risk the relationship. And what did I do? I tried it. And the worst thing that could happen, happened. I liked it. In fact, I liked it a lot. And from that moment forward for three years, everything in my life changed. I went from being, you know, respectful to my parents and, and uh, you know, looking like a straight-laced kid that was going somewhere in life, loving sports. I mean, you, you know, you get doing dope every day, several times a day. You're not, you're not coordinated enough to play hockey or uh, things like that. That all started to go by the wayside. Everything changed. I became what they called in those days a freak. A freak was someone that did drugs, but I wasn't a hippie. A hippie was protesting the United States. Uh, a hippie was the late 60s, early 70s version of somebody who was woke. Okay? And, you know, protesting the war, guys wearing flowers in their hair and all that stuff. I wasn't about that. In fact, you know, when I, when I, be, when I became of age, and, and I wasn't even saved yet. In fact, my draft card has a picture of me with hair down to here, and my eyes are bloodshot red because I was stoned. But I, I was, I was going to go to Vietnam and kill communists because I believed if it was red, it should be dead. That's, that's what I believed. And so I wasn't a hippie. And, uh, and, and I'm glad I missed out on that war. God bless those of you that survived that. I mean, that whole thing was shame on America. Not the soldiers, but shame on our country, the way we didn't support them. But things wound down pretty quick, and I didn't even really get all that close to getting drafted. I was a year or two off. But I, I did get my card, and... Uh, and I, like I said, the worst possible thing that could happen is, is I, I liked, I liked the dope. I, I enjoyed it. And uh, pretty soon, uh, everything, everything began to change. Everything began to change. And it was, it, it was at that point where I got ambushed. I wasn't ready for what happened. I had to make a split-second decision. You say, well, how, how do you deal with these things, whether you're young or you're old, whether it's drugs that's being offered or alcohol or, or uh, illicit sex or anything else? Fill in the blank. Uh, temptation. Uh, the devil is clever. He knows how to ambush us. He knows how to surprise us. He knows how to catch us in a weak moment. Uh, you do what you want with this, but I believe demon spirits study us. And they watch our weaknesses, and they go after those things. So what do we need to do? We need to develop strategies against these things, and that's exactly what Daniel did. Take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 1. This is what Daniel did, and this is what we need to do, young or old. By the way, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, at that moment I thought, oh, yeah, I've been looking for something anyways. My life is no good. Uh, I, I need something. No, it was just, hey, you want to try this? You want to be with us? That was the insidious part of it. You know, it wasn't like I, I, I felt my family was a loser family and my life was a loser life or anything like that. It was just, just hey, you want to do this with us? And, and I decided I was going to keep my friends. And that was a mistake. By the way, you can say no to people that offer you the wrong thing, and in the end, they might wind up respecting you. Think about that one. Young people and old people. They may end up respecting you for that. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And this is what we call the Babylonian captivity around 606 B.C. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God 
which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure of the house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Now you see what's going on here. At the captivity, the king says, now look, you, you call out all the, the best of the people, especially the young people, and, and, and we're going to teach them, we're going to teach them to be us. They're going to improve the gene pool, if you will, uh, so to speak. And, and notice what they're going to do. They're going to teach them the tongue of the Chaldeans. What's going on here is, is they are going to try to give them uh, a new identity, uh, they're going to they're gonna try to make them think not like Hebrews, not like Jews, but by but Chaldeans, Babylonians. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, now here's, here's, here's the problem we're going to run into here. Here's the problem we're going to run into. Uh, for instance... Uh, all their names get changed here. All their names get changed. Let's, let's read on a little bit further. He says, now among these were the children of Judah, uh, verse 6, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names. But notice what happens here. Verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar. All right, Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. Daniel's name was given to him so he'd remember the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But notice it was changed to Belteshazzar, and Belteshazzar means prince of Bel, and Bel is a heathen god. They wanted him to forget their gods and adopt, uh, forget their god and adopt the gods of the Chaldeans. Uh, notice here, and to Hananiah of Shadrach. Uh, Hananiah means God has been gracious. Shadrach means servant of sin. Sin is the moon god for the Babylonians. Sin is the moon god for the Babylonians. And to Mishael, uh, verse 7, of Meshach. Uh, Mishael means who is equal to God. But Meshach means the shadow of the prince. And to Azariah, and to Azariah of Abednego, of Abednego. Azariah means God has helped. Abednego means servant of Ishtar. Ishtar is a Babylonian goddess. You see what's going on here? Uh, these young people are on the spot now. Uh, they're in a tough spot. And notice verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Notice that phrase, Daniel purposed in his heart. He knew that the best food had been offered to Babylonian idols. And he didn't want to eat that food. He knew that was the food that would be offered to them to eat. There's another possibility here too. Another possibility, or it could have been a combination of both, that some of the meat that was offered to them was meat forbidden under the Levitical law, Leviticus chapter 11 in particular, and it could have been swine's flesh. But notice the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a decision ahead of time. He strategized ahead of time that he wasn't going to do this. For instance, when he ended up in the lion's den. Remember that one? Daniel purposed in his heart ahead of time that he wasn't going to pray to anybody but God and he wasn't going to quit praying. 
And young people, today, you need to purpose in your heart about these matters. And it's not a question of if somebody is going to ambush you someday. And they won't even think of it that way. Like I said, it might just be a friend that thinks he's doing you a favor. But you're going to be on the spot like I was. And if you haven't thought about these things, and you haven't prayed about them, and you haven't purposed in your heart, you're going to be making a split-second decision that could go either way that could affect the entire course of your life. Parents, talk to your young people. Have open communication. Don't just raise them hoping this never comes up. Hoping they just kind of get through. Be part of this process. Keep the communication open. If, you're, if your teenager comes up to you and admits a mistake, don't cloud up and rain on them immediately. Because what's he going to do the next time he makes a mistake? He'll say, well, I know dad isn't somebody I could go to. Mom isn't somebody I can go to. Hey, try to remember back that far when you were that age, if you can remember that far. And remember how clumsy and awkward it was for you and how difficult it was and how much, how much that concerned you. You know, what would my parents say? Keep the lines of communication open. Young people, talk to your folks. Talk, talk to somebody in leadership here that you trust. Get some help. But more than anything else, purpose in your heart between you and the Lord. That when that time comes, I'm saying no. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's my best friend. If it's my best friend and I lose my best friend, then I'll just get a new best friend. Adults, same thing. Same thing. I mean, I'm hearing stories of adults cashing in their, their family, cashing in their reputation, cashing in their careers to run off with someone else they met on the Internet. Christians, pastors, Nobody's immune. Purpose in your heart. Purpose in your heart. And when I said yes instead of saying no, <clears throat> it started a three-year nightmare. Because I don't do anything in moderation. If you know me, you know that. Everything is all out and in the extreme. I wasn't content to be a weekend pot smoker. It was seven days a week, three, four, five, six times a day from morning till night to the point where I couldn't even get high off of that anymore. And then it was what we called chemicals. You start doing other stuff, LSD, mescaline, uh, speed. And they didn't, have, uh, they didn't have methamphetamines, thank God for that in those days. Uh, heroin was an expensive drug. Heroin was an expensive drug. And let me tell you something, young people. Let me tell you something, old people. When you deal with certain sins, you start messing around with certain sins, you have the potential to open doors into the spirit world that you'll wish you hadn't opened. Drugs can put you in a passive state where that, where that, that, that wall between the seen and the unseen gets opened up. It can happen with alcohol. Did you ever hear the expression the old timers used to use? When a, when, a, when a man would die in the delirium tremors with withdrawal of alcohol, they'd say he died with snakes in his boots. Where did that come from? Because the guy would be seeing stuff. Snakes. You know something? If, if God just opened our eyes to let us see what's going on around us, most of us would be hiding under the chair somewhere. Angels, good angels, demon spirits, battling it out. There's a whole other world there. And, and with these drugs, you can go into a passive state and start experiencing some of those things. I actually astral projected involuntarily. I had an out-of-body experience. I had, I, I had encounters with demon spirits. I didn't even know what I was dealing with. 
stuff that would scare you so bad that I don't care who you were, you'd be frightened. A lot of rock music will do the same thing. You know, okay, my favorite group, Black Sabbath. They interviewed Ozzy Osbourne one time when he was the lead singer on Black Sabbath. They said, you, you sing about the devil? No, 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 we don't sing about the devil. We sing about the devil. All this stuff to the dark side is opening doors into darkness. By the way, alcohol can do the same thing. Pornography can do the same thing. A lot of things can do that. Um, Transcendental meditation. Watch out for this yoga exercise stuff. Ladies. Ladies. Watch out for this yoga. You know where yoga comes from? Eastern religions. Hinduism. Watch out for anything that puts you in a passive state. You want to meditate on something? Meditate on God's word. You want to brainwash yourself and relax? Brainwash yourself and relax on the promises of God. Not some kitchen table fad philosopher who's going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Three-year nightmare, folks, to the point where, look, Titus, where you at? You meant what you said, right? Titus's brother blew his brains out. 44 Magnum. Last time I talked to Titus, he was doing good. After he started doing bad again, he wouldn't talk to me anymore. Wouldn't talk to anybody that could help him. You say, why are you talking about this? Because it could happen to somebody in this room. It could happen to your kid or your grandkid. And by the way, let me say this to you, adult or young person, God will never tell you to kill yourself. Whatever voice you're hearing, whatever spirit is pushing you that direction, that comes from the dark side. Rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. Plead the blood of Christ. But I remember talking to him one time in, in the course of right after he got right with God. He, he told me how much alcohol he was consuming. I said, bro, I said, you know you're pickling your internal organs. He said, I know that. I said, you know if you get back into it one more time, you're done. You're going to die. He said, I know it. Folks, you might play around with sin, but sin does not play around with you. Opening up doors to darkness. By the time I got to the end of my three-year journey with this stuff, one of the things that really turned me was a couple of my friends again. We were getting our jackets on. It was wintertime. We were leaving one house where we used to do drugs. No, no adults around ever. Just did drugs in that house. We were going to another place. And he went, one of my friends went to put his coat on, and a box fell out of his coat that had a rubber band around it. The rubber band broke. This box opened up, and there was a syringe and a spoon and a tourniquet and some white powder. And I looked at him, and I said, what's that? He grabbed it and shoved it in his coat. He said, none of your business. I remember right at that moment, I said, that's where I'm headed. I've done everything else. If you'd have told me earlier that I'd be, that I'd be tempted or, 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 or be on the path to pushing a needle in my arm, I would have told you you were crazy. But that's where I was headed. And I started to pray. And I started to ask God. And by the way, watch out for the party scene. Do you know there's people in prison today in our state that just went to a party and a drug bust took place and they ended up doing time? Do you know Samson could have stayed out of a lot of trouble if he would have just taken his vows as a Nazarite seriously? He wasn't supposed to have anything that came off the vine that originated from a grape. I got a question for you. What was he doing hanging around at the vineyard? 
You want to stay out of trouble, don't go to the places where trouble takes place. And by the way, that goes for you young couples. I don't know why some Christian young couples get married and all of a sudden they had been church-going, sanctified Christians. They get married and it's party time. Sin gets sanctified because it's taking place within the marriage union. And now you're going to hang out in, in parties like a couple of swingers? You that are younger, ask your parent what a swinger was back in the day. I'll get you to talk to each other one way or another. Watch out for the party scene. Look at, uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Purpose in your heart. Amen? Purpose in your heart. Young people, purpose in your heart. Develop a plan. Develop a strategy. Stand in front of the mirror and go, no. Just see how it looks. Feel how it feels. When our kids were growing up and they were little, we brainwashed them about cigarettes, alcohol, and drugs. And here's how we did it. At a certain age with all three of them. You remember this? That's so long ago, I, I forgot about this. We'd show them a beer ad, and we'd say, no, no, bad, bad. And they'd say, no, no, bad, bad. And we'd say, no, no, bad, bad. And then dad would rip it up, throw it on the ground. And they'd stomp on it, no, no, bad, bad. You say you're brainwashing your kid. Yeah, and we use King James wash water. <laughs> and then we do it with a cigarette ad, and we do it with drugs. We, 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 we do that kind of thing. Why not? The world's going to push it on them. Look, the, the world, did you ever notice the beer commercials? Nobody's got a beer belly. And they're all young and happy and athletic, and they got perfectly white teeth. Take them down to the rescue mission so they can see reality. Madison Avenue is going to try to ram it down their throat. Develop a strategy, purpose in your heart. Because the devil's clever at ambushing. He's clever down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is what? Common to man. Don't let him isolate you. Oh, I, I, I've been tempted to do this. And, and, uh, and, and by the way, you know, it, was, it used to always be a, a guy propositioning a gal. Now the girls are as aggressive as the guys. And how many, how many of you parents understand that when the hormones get going in a young man and he gets a pretty good offer from a pretty girl, it's pretty tough to say no. Talk it over. Have a strategy. Because it's not a matter of if. It's when. There hath no temptation taken uh, uh, you but such as is common to man. The devil will try to say, See, you're the only weirdo that's tempted with this. You're, you're, you must really be strange. There's something wrong with you. No, it's common to man. But here's the good news. God is faithful. See that? Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. So, oh man, I, I just, this temptation is so strong. I just, I, yes, you can. And what does he say? He'll provide a way to what? Escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, he's not going to give you some sort of incantation where it's just going to go away. You're going to have to bear it. But he'll provide a way to escape. And look, if you, you know, in theology, they call it the doctrine of impeccability. It's the, you know, at what point does sin come in? At what point is it just temptation and all this, this other stuff? But, but every time you're tempted, somewhere along the line, God will, God will, Slip a, a, a door cracked open for you, and, and if, you're, if you're looking and, 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 and asking for it and seeking it, you'll recognize it. It might be a verse. 
It might be a circumstance. But let me say this to you. You can say no. Like I said, Samson, if he, just, if he wouldn't have been hanging around at the vineyard, he wouldn't have gotten half of the trouble. As your strategy, stay away from the places and the people and the circumstances that provide the most temptation. Avoid them. There's better. There's better. Uh, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, would you please? 2 Timothy chapter 1. One of the things the devil uses, and if, if, uh, if, we, didn't, if we didn't realize this, the last year and a half has taught us this, the devil uses fear. Never in my lifetime would I thought you could literally control the whole world, the whole world, through fear. Now, now don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to, I'm not going to stand here this morning and spend 20 minutes qualifying what I just said. You know, sometimes you say stuff like that, and I got to have somebody come in. Oh, you didn't, you didn't say about this or talk about that. I know. I can't talk about everything. You want to stay till 3 in the afternoon? I'm not talking about the legitimacy or illegitimacy of this whole pandemic thing. I'm just saying the whole world is being controlled through fear. Fear is a powerful thing. Look what 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says. For God hath not given us the spirit of what? Fear. A spirit of fear. Now, we're supposed to fear the Lord. That's, uh, that's understanding our place before God, that he's God and we're just man. That's, that's not the same thing. A spirit of fear is when we're walking around in, in, in constant fear and, and anxiety. And let me say something uh, to you here, and, and, th and this is a little lesson in the spirit world. Uh, when, when God puts you under conviction, it's very specific. When he deals with you about a problem, it's very specific. When the devil is just attacking you with fear and accusing you, it's vague. When it's God, you can confess that sin, and then you'll have the peace of God which passes all understanding. When it's the devil, it'll be vague. You don't know what to confess, and you can never get any relief from it no matter what you do. When God leads, he leads you gently. When the devil starts pushing you around, he drives you harshly. That'll help you with discernment on these things. So you're presented with something, and somehow or another, the devil presents it in a way where you think, oh, if I don't do this, I'll be in trouble. Do you know what child molesters tell their victims? You better not say anything about this to anybody or I'll kill you. That's what they do. What are they using? Fear. And by the way, I think every child molester ought to be executed. It should be a capital offense. There's no reforming that nonsense. You got a taste for little boys, little girls. You need to die. If you exercise that taste, if you have that taste, you better deal with God about it. Get rid of that taste. Fear. Fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Hey, you got power over that sin. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. Power and of love and of a sound mind. And of a sound mind. God can give you victory. But what do you have to do? You got a purpose in your heart. You have to purpose in your heart. What's next week? I'm not here. And the week after, I'm not here. I'm be gone for two weeks. To be continued. You say, how'd you get the victory over this? Enter the Lord Jesus Christ. Enter the Lord Jesus Christ. Enter the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to pick it up next time around. But the bottom line here is, you know what? People talk too much about, well, you know, the way things are, you know, it's just so much harder. I guess we just have to expect 
that we're just going to have a little bit of disaster and a little bit of catastrophe. No. Don't plan for failure. Don't plan for failure. Young people, purpose in your heart. Determine ahead of time that, that when, when that time comes, you'll already have it all worked out. There'll be nothing to decide, and it'll just be, no, you'll slam that door. You'll slam that door. And like I said, it's not just young people. It's those of us that are older, too. Look, in fact, here's the deal. Young person, the devil wants to get them because they're at the front end of their life, and he doesn't want to see them serve the Lord and have a good life, so he wants to mess it up now. Those of you that have been saved a long time and you got a testimony, you know what he wants to do with that thing? He wants to ruin it. He wants people to look at you and say, oh, all those years he was talking about God. And look what he did. I knew it wasn't true. That's why we should determine in our hearts to finish the race, finish it clean. And there's one more thing. You ready, old people? And with joy. Smile. You look better when you smile. And it pulls all the wrinkles up. See how much? See? I was watching a commercial one time. I said, Carol, they're talking about getting rid of creepy skin. She said, that's creepy. I said, well, it is kind of creepy. And you smile, and all the creepy skin goes away. And your wrinkles look like smile wrinkles up here. Hey, you know what our young people need to see? They need to see some happy old people in Christ. Now, if people are unsaved, I get it. People are unsaved. They start getting the end of their lives, and they're saying, is this all there is? And they don't know that there's anything else. I get it. I get it that they're sad. But we as Christians, you know what? We're getting closer to heaven. It's better. It's better. Amen. Daniel purposed in his heart. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, uh, this morning. And uh, Father, you, you don't leave us helpless in the hands of our foe. Uh, we have the whole armor of God shield of faith, sword of the spirit, feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, helmet of salvation, and on it goes, Father. We thank you for, the, for your provision, Lord. Help, help especially our young people this morning, and, and Lord, may families communicate, parents with kids, kids with parents, grandparents with grandkids, spouses with each other. Let's just face the fact, Father, that, that, that we're subject to temptation. Let's not try to pretend, Lord, Help us, not, help us not to run around pretending like we're impervious and we're, we're Teflon-coated and, and nothing can get to us. We're just all painted with the same brush. We're, we're weak sometimes. And help us to purpose in our hearts. Even if it might cost us a friend, if it might cost us an opportunity, help us to be willing to do it for you. Looking unto Jesus, the author, finisher of our faith. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. Sing a song of invitation. If God spoke to you, come. God tugged on your heartstring in any way. Come. Parents, grandparents, young people, come and spend a little time with the Lord in prayer. Maybe put your arm around your son or your daughter and just come on up here and spend some time in prayer. Just, just get it taken care of. Because it's not a question of if. It's not a question of if, but the ambush is coming. The ambush is coming. And you want to be ready for it. That's all. That's all. We don't have to fall. We don't have to fall. We're more than conquerors through him that loved us. But we got to do a little preparation. We got to strategize. We got to be ready. We got a purpose in our hearts.
Let's stand and take our hymn listen to number 419. 419. If God spoke to you this morning, you come. Spend some time in prayer now. Come on. Thanks for being here this morning. Brother Chad Wells, would you come up here and close us in a word of prayer? That's right. Father, thank you so much for this challenge. Father, I do pray that you would help us, Father, to make those decisions, Father, that we would uh, make that commitment to you. And Father, that you would help us, uh, each and every one of us, young and old alike, Father. And uh, Father, bring us back here this evening as we continue uh, to worship you. We just thank you now. In uh, your name we pray. Amen.